Well, here we are again, John, standing in the studio, which means it's time to record another book chapter. Will it ever end? I don't think so. I feel like we're doing this all the time now. <laughs> this is Sisyphus back at work. <laughs> I, although it's not, not quite so painful. I think that we've got some, some fun, fun stories to tell. And in particular, the chapter that we're going to talk about today was one of my favorite stories that came out during the pandemic and, and one that I was really happy to have us include as part of our, our book. And it was great that we actually got to talk to Harry Stevens, who we talk about in this chapter uh, for the Stats and Stories podcast. So it's sort of a nice full circle moment. Hey, what she said. Here's chapter seven. Chapter seven, modeling what it means to flatten the curve. This chapter is based on a Washington Post March 14th, 2020 story by Harry Stevens titled, Why Outbreaks Like Coronavirus Spread Exponentially and How to, quote, Flatten the Curve. End quote. Story summary. In this story, the Washington Post's Harry Stevens works to help the audience understand how COVID-19 spreads in a community and also explains what it means to flatten the curve. Unlike other stories about these issues, Stevens doesn't write a long text story about this, and he's not echoing or interpreting research publications about the spread of a virus in a community. Rather, he produces a series of interactive graphics to help tell the story of the virus's spread. Throughout the story, key terms the audience needs to understand are bolded, with an interactive graphic following soon after the term's appearance, so that the article not only tells the audience what something is, but also works to show them as well. Generally, humans process visual information more quickly than they process textual information, so it's an interesting bit of reporting that relies on the strengths of both the text and the visualizations to communicate the story to the audience. What ideas will you encounter in this chapter? Simplified representations of a complex problem can capture the key features of the problem. Visualizations of a concept may be the best foundation for a story. The importance of simplicity in crafting a powerful message. What's claimed? Is it appropriate? A number of claims are embedded in this story. First, outbreaks of viruses grow exponentially, implying that infections might spread completely and quickly through a population. Exponential growth implies that the increase in the number of infected is proportional to the number who are currently infected in the population. You encountered this proportionality number during the COVID-19 pandemic when there was a lot of discussion of the so-called R-value. The BBC story dives into a description of R. This quantity captures how many people, on average, are newly infected by virus-carrying individuals. Here, when R is greater than 1, the virus presence is growing in the population. When R equals 1, then the population is staying constant, and when R is less than 1, the virus is dying out. Consider what happens when R equals 2. Suppose we start with only a single individual with the virus. This person infects 2, and then these two individuals infect 2, and this continues. So the pattern of the number of newly infected individuals is 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, and so on. Now this ignores the nuance that individuals are not contagious forever, 
and that most will recover and not infect others. However, exponential growth with R greater than 1 is like a wildfire that will consume all of the fuel, uninfected, until no fuel remains. The impact of forced quarantine can protect a separated population, but once the wall between an infected and quarantined population is breached, all bets are off, and an unexposed population will experience the same pattern of exponential growth in infections. Finally, two illustrations of how degrees of social distancing impact the number of infections over time are included. Who's claiming this? Harry Stevens, a graphics reporter at the Washington Post, wrote a story that featured computer simulations that serve as the foundation of the story. This is not based on some background scientific paper or government report. Rather, the story reflects Stevens' journalistic understanding of the underlying science behind the spread of viruses and control strategies to mitigate their spread. This article provides an exposition of an important concept that will equip a reader to consider the impact and control of a real pandemic virus. Why is it claimed? During the COVID-19 pandemic, public health officials were clear and strong advocates of social distancing. They provided an early, critical message of the need to flatten the curve to avoid overwhelming hospital resources for intensive care of the most impacted by the diseases resulting from the virus. Stephen's story was not a new claim, but a clever visualization of this pattern which provides a sense of impact. The writers and coders of the simulation, and its accompanying illustrations, wanted to communicate the essence of how an infectious disease spreads and the time course of the disease in terms of how many in a population are infected at a given time and how many in a population have recovered. Is this a good measure of impact? The impact here was defined by tracking the trajectory of members of a population who could be classified into three distinct groups, healthy, sick or infected, and recovered. The relative sizes of these three groups were tracked under differing conditions explored in this story, freely moving, quarantined, social distancing with three or four people adhering to distancing guidelines, and social distancing with seven of eight people adhering. Impact is measured by the number of people who are infected with simulitis at any point in time. By calling this simulated disease simulitis, the reporter removes the explicit connection to COVID-19 and allows the reader to reflect on critical concepts in the context of the impact of a pretend virus on a simplified abstract population. Extracting the key features of a situation and exploring and manipulating these features are critical for gaining insights from a simulation. Here, this won't be a perfect rendering of how the infection of a virus moves through a population, but the essence of how this proceeds. The assertion that models are caricatures of reality that emphasize certain traits over other traits is common and applies here. The main features monitored in this simulation are the number of healthy, sick, and recovered over time. This is directly relevant and of immediate interest since hospital resources are often measured in bed capacity and the number of extremely ill infected people are likely to need these resources. How is the claim supported? Simulations of free-range humans, no restriction on movement, 
quarantine subpopulations, and population members practicing distancing were implemented to explore patterns associated with the number of healthy, sick, and recovered. What evidence is reported? The driving force of this story is simulated data. In essence, it's a story about disease spread based on made-up data derived from a simple model for what happens in a population. Basically, you're healthy, then you may be infected, then you may recover. Essentially, this is a computer experiment where a small population of 200 healthy people has a single case of the disease simulitis introduced. The computer experiment or simulation study is world building at its best. Anyone ever played SimCity or Animal Crossing? Simulations generate data from a set of assumptions. Here the assumptions included, one, if you are healthy and you contact an infected person, then you will get infected. Two, after a certain period of time, you will recover. Three, if you recover, then you will not get the disease again. And four, if you are not staying stationary, you are moving in some random trajectory until you encounter another individual or the boundary of your town where you bounce off these encounters back into the town. This is similar to a pool or billiards table where balls once moving do not cease moving. This simulated world here was a rectangle with balls moving around. Picture in your mind a billiards table with no pockets. The balls are one color when healthy, another when infected, and a third color when recovered. These balls move around this rectangle until they encounter another person or they hit a wall. This model could just as easily represent molecules moving in a chamber as people in a population. The power is in the abstraction and the insights it might produce about a system that is represented by the simulation. What is the quality strength of the evidence? The simulation and its assumption don't have to be an exact representation of what we would expect in a population. In fact, we know that you may or may not get sick if you interact with an infected person. And you probably don't move around your community like a physics-defying billiards ball. Further, we know that the time until recovery differs between individuals, and some die as well. Finally, we don't know if you can get the virus again after you've recovered from an infection. These exact details don't matter for the purpose of this illustration. Reporting and models. Sometimes computer models are created to explore relationships. These may be deterministic in that if you provide the same input, then you get the same output. Alternatively, models might be stochastic and provided the same input, then you get potentially different output. What type of model was in this story? The key features of how a virus is spread in a population and how control measures might impact this spread are captured by this simulation. Two great quotes from sources we can't remember about models are that models are, quote, caricatures of reality, end quote, and that they are, quote, purposeful representations of reality, end quote. In the same way that a cartoonist at a fair captures and often accentuates the key features of a person they are sketching, a model captures the essential features of the system. Here, a pandemic-impacted population that the modeler wishes to explore. Your homework is to find the quote by the famous statistician George Box about model correctness. If it takes you more than one browser search to find this quote, then you type something wrong. The old adage that a picture is worth a thousand words is embraced as part of this story. Here, multiple figures are used to represent the output of these simulations. 
Let's consider a hypothetical example of the relative share of healthy, infected, and recovered individuals in a population of 200 individuals who are not practicing any social distancing. Here, the number of healthy individuals falls quickly to zero in the population, while the number of infected individuals increases to more than three quarters of the population. Now let's consider a hypothetical example of the relative share of healthy, infected, and recovered individuals in a population of 200 individuals who practice social distancing. Here, the number of healthy individuals more slowly falls to zero in the population, while the number of infected increases to about one half of the population before dropping. The key observation is that the population with no social distancing peaked earlier and had more cases at this peak when compared to the population with social distancing present. The story is that the lower peak with social distancing would prevent the overloading of hospital resources and the later peak suggests that health officials would have more time to prepare to react to the pandemic. Is the claim reasonable in itself? Does prior belief impact my belief? Confirmation bias? The story from public health officials was clear. You will flatten the curve, decrease the maximum number of cases at a particular point in time, and delay the occurrence of the peak if you enact certain control strategies such as social distancing. The challenge for us was picturing ourselves as a point on these curves and to think about what condition we could implement to impact these curves. The story translated the movements in a hypothetical population of infected individuals into realized values on these curves displaying infected counts. Thus, the impact of this story was to make real the public health advice and the impact of following this advice on a population. It's amazing to see that data can be constructed to represent the expected patterns in a real population. How does this claim fit with what is already known? Impacts of social distancing have been observed in the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic and the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. Countries and cities that implemented stronger stay-at-home and social distancing rules had lower case counts and mortality in their communities. This story and its simulation-based illustrations extract from the real-world observed patterns of the trajectory of a virus and display results in a simpler computer-generated world. How much does this matter to me? The displays of complex systems in a manner that is understandable and brings an aha moment to a reader are to be celebrated. This story and its embedded simulation do exactly that, and it's no surprise that this was one of the most read Washington Post stories ever published. What's your response to this simulation? Did the simulation help you better understand the impact of social distancing? Would you change your behavior given a better understanding? Considering the coverage, there's a saying heard in newsrooms across the country when an editor is trying to get a reporter or an anchor to get to the point of something. Please, these editors say, please use the fewest, most powerful words possible to tell your story. Journalists, particularly those generalists who are tasked with telling a specialized story, sometimes lean into overriding as a way to mask an experience with something. 
The reporter includes too many details, too much jargon, all to cover up for their own lack of expertise, often making what is already a complicated story that much more confusing. While Harry Stevens' reporting on flattening the curve is a nice example of how visualizations can aid in storytelling, his writing is also impressive. He uses language to explain complicated concepts, telling the story the way he might to his grandmother or to a friend over a beer in a bar. Being able to do that is a skill that journalists need to develop if their reporting is to have any real impact on the broad public. For example, when explaining the exponential curve in relation to infectious disease, Stevens writes this quote, has experts worried if the number of cases were to continue to double every three days, there would be about 100 million cases in the United States by May. That is math, not prophecy, end quote. While we like that humdinger about math and prophecy, the more important bit is how he explains what an exponential curve means for American lives. It also sets up the rest of the discussion later in the story about the various strategies that officials attempted to adopt early in the pandemic in order to curb COVID's spread. One of the particularly difficult things for journalists to parse early on in the pandemic was what experts meant by the phrase social distancing and why they thought it was an important strategy to adopt in order to slow the spread of COVID. Before a series of visuals showing the impact of different social distancing strategies, Stevens writes, quote, Health officials have encouraged people to avoid public gatherings, to stay home more often, and to keep their distance from others. If people are less mobile and interact with each other less, the virus has fewer opportunities to spread, end quote. The second sentence here about mobility and interaction is modeled in Stevens' visualizations, but it's also important to spell it out for readers in black and white text. It's by avoiding interacting with others who might have COVID that we slow the spread of the disease. Both visualizing that fact and stating it plainly helps reinforce that message for the reader. Other news outlets were also working early in the epidemic to help their audiences understand what it means to flatten the curve, although not in quite the same way as this piece from Harry Stevens. A story from the New York Times published a few days after Stevens' article also featured visualizations of curves, though they were not interactive. The visualizations were focused on understanding which countries had been most successful in flattening the curve to that point in time. The story suggested that Norway, Japan, and South Korea seemed to be doing the best. But the story was just a rehashing of the confirmed cases of the virus in the countries profiled with no real explanation of what it means to flatten the curve or what it might demand from those reading the story. KPBS, a public radio station in San Diego, the day before published an article attempting to explain what both flattening the curve and social distancing meant. Social distancing, the article notes, quote, is exactly what it sounds like. It's keeping your distance at least six feet from other people, end quote. Just under that explanation was a simple graphic illustrating how the virus was spread by people sneezing in a space when close to others. As Stevens attempted to discuss in his article, the KPBS piece also tries to explain what it means that something is spread exponentially in accessible language. Quote, 
Many people may not realize they're spreading the virus. That's why officials say if there isn't social distancing, the number of people getting sick will grow exponentially like this. If you take a single drop of water and you double the size of it every minute, within less than an hour, it will fill a baseball stadium, Kaiser said. So for every person who tests positive, another two people could get the virus, and those numbers keep doubling. This rate of this growth can quickly become a problem because as the number of people getting sick goes up, so will the number of people who need to go to the hospital. End quote. The KPBS article also included a curve-flattening visualization, but as with the New York Times article, it was not interactive in nature and served as more of an illustration than anything else. The story ends with a reminder to, quote, remember, flattening the curve isn't about panicking, just about keeping a safe distance to slow the rate of the virus, end quote. It's not as data-rich or driven as Stevens' article, but it succeeds where Stevens also did, in telling a complicated story in an accessible, easy-to-understand manner. Journalism is ultimately meaningless if the language is so complicated or convoluted that it turns an audience away. Thoughtfully using the fewest, most powerful words possible to tell even the most complicated statistical stories can help ensure a story is read and, more importantly, understood. Review and Recap An effective simulation, a virtual game, provided meaningful insight for connecting readers to concepts that were critical for understanding the impact of a pandemic virus in a population and suggested behavioral controls, here social distancing. But fancy visualizations don't override the need for communicating a story in a straightforward, easy-to-understand manner. There can be poetry and simplicity. Being able to communicate something succinctly can help ensure both you and your audience understand what's at stake. COVID Coda We began work on this book before COVID emerged, began revisions as the pandemic seemed to reach a major apex, and are finalizing our work on this volume as the world stares down the end of 2021, framed by the Omicron variant. As we contemplate another winter, masked up and socially distanced, we find ourselves meditating on the simplicity of Harry Stevens' visual explanation and what it means to flatten the curve. Omicron is moving through communities with lightning speed, meaning we all have to be working to flatten the curve before it begins to even grow. More than two years into the pandemic, the work of reporters like Stevens continues to stand out for its ability to communicate complicated public health information simply, even if not everyone follows the advice to wear a mask and maintain social distance. No one can argue that the information on why we need to do that isn't out there. During interviews with statisticians and public health officials for Stats and Stories, what we've been struck by time and again is that those experts generally feel the news media have done a pretty good job during the pandemic. There have been occasional missteps, as one might expect, but our Stats and Stories guests generally think that reporters have fulfilled their duty to serve the public good when it comes to COVID. We think that it's worth celebrating as we ponder what Omicron means for the pandemic and what might come next. Bonus story. Disease modelers are wary of reopening the country. Here's how they arrive at their verdict. Story by Harry Stevens and John Myskins, published in the Washington Post, May 14th, 2020. Stats and Stories Podcasts. 
Stats and Stories has featured a lot of conversations about the visualization of statistical information, ranging in focus from its historic roots to current best practices. Harry Stevens, the author of the headline of this chapter, discussed this work and the use of simulation and visualization in data journalism in episode 142. Amanda McCulloch discussed the importance of data visualizations in understanding the story of COVID-19 early on in the pandemic in episode 132. Early examples of data visualization are the topic of a conversation with Allison Headley, who discusses the way visualizations have been used to understand population statistics in episode 154. The importance of creating beautiful, easy-to-understand data visualizations in journalism was the focus of episodes 42 and 43. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.